Hello and welcome to Triple Bladed Sword, the podcast that looks at the science fiction, fantasy, and horror we read, watch, and play. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Bershon. I teach English literature and film studies at McEwen University, and this podcast is where I share what I'm learning and have learned about books, films, and games that involve impossible and improbable worlds. This spring and then summer of 2021, I'm doing a series of shorter episodes called Office Hours, which is a bit of a misnomer since these episodes are around 15 minutes long and they've been consistently 20. The same length of a student visit during my office hours. They're episodes devoted to the sort of meandering, reflective, and fun conversations that I have with students who drop by to say hello. And this week I imagined, actually I have to imagine this question, I've been asked it a few times or I've had students make similar comments. Why do you teach, why do you read speculative fiction? Why do you think speculative speculative fiction is important? I've had students say things like, I don't read that sort of thing because I like my fiction to be realistic. And we'll talk about realism and fiction another day. Um, But today I want to talk about this question, I want to answer this question in light of it being Pride Month. Um, and to talk about how, you know, even though today I would consider myself a, an, an advocate and an ally um, for LGBTQ issues and people, my hometown is largely conservative. It remains largely conservative in terms of its voting uh, tendencies, uh, and it's not a secret. I it's a it's called Medicine Hat. Uh, it's a very conservative little corner here in uh, Alberta, and uh, and I was also raised North American Baptist, which is very distinct from Southern Baptist. Because some people would you know I'd say I grew up Baptist, they'd be like, oh that's great, you guys got to do the clapping and the singing and the dancing, and I'm like, no, none of those things. North American Baptists uh, just sort of they're very very strong Protestant. The Bible is the truth, um, and, but without the dancing and the yes, sir, Jesus sir, kind of approach to preaching. Uh, and this was all happening in the 1980s, which in and of itself, you know, was it was a long time ago and we've changed lots. We have made a progress when my students say things like nothing's ever changing. I'm like, you should just come back to the 80s with me for a moment and see just how many of us were homophobic and heterosexist. And so this is my admission. This is my confession. I was homophobic and I was heterosexist back in the 1980s when I was growing up as a teenager. I wasn't, I don't think I'd characterize myself as hostile towards homosexuals, but I was far from being an ally. Um, And, you know, there was one time where someone came up to me in a parking lot late at night and Uh, hit on me. And uh, I was, I I said, no, thanks. Uh, I'm not gay. Um, But I felt dirty. I felt uh, like, you know, we would have described it back in those days as sort of the moment from the movie, The Crying Game, where the guy has to run off and, you know, have a shower after he finds out uh, that the person that he's with is not female. Um, But I also stood up against friends when they wanted to beat uh, a guy up for having uh, written them messages that were of a sexual nature. Um, so there was this, there was, there was a balance there to, to for me growing up in the Baptist church, wh- I was very serious about my faith and faith to me, as far as it was presented in the Christian gospels was about compassion and empathy. And so for me, whether or not you agreed with someone's lifestyle was not a reason to 
commit violence. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I have to say, you, you know, like my, we had a we, we, guys that I went to high school with, we had a friend who uh, was homosexual and he came out to one of my buddies, but he didn't come out to me. And that says a lot to me, you know, that he didn't feel like he could come and, and talk to me about those things. Um, but I moved to Edmonton in the early 90s with a bunch of guys in, in the band that I played with back then. And we were huge fans of the Star Trek Next Generation television sh- uh, show. And so now I've moved away from my conservative hometown and I, you know, we were attending church sporadically, even though all of us were uh, evangelical Christians of one stripe or another, but there was a sort of freedom to where we were. And, um, and, and, you know, we didn't have that, that strong, uh, those strong parameters or the boundaries being um, imposed upon us. And um, so there we were, you know, uh, on our own and um, watching next generation every week. And there was an episode called the host in which um, one of the characters, Beverly Crusher, she was the medic on the Enterprise in that series, uh, falls in love with an alien. And the species was called a trill. And this alien species was symbiotic. That is to say that they, they used human bodies, or humanoid bodies, I should say, as hosts. And um, there's a moment when the body can no longer sustain the symbiote inside of it. And so the body that she ostensibly has fallen in love with, this is the complexity of this episode, um, is now, you know, it's dying. And so they have to take the symbiote from within and move it into one of her crewmates, into the first mate uh, Riker, um, who's, you know, a bit of a player in the series. And, uh, and so there's this complication now of like, is this the same person that I'd fallen in love with now that the body isn't there? The gaze isn't the same. The posture's not the same. These things have changed. And, but he, but the, but the human body can't sustain the, the trill symbiosis. And so they need to have, you know, one of the, the humanoids that, that can sustain it come in and they do that and they do the transplant. But now the body, the presenting side, I guess we, we would say in modern terms, you know, that this, this entity, uh, this person presented as male at the beginning of the episode and then presented as female at the end and Beverly Crusher just can't handle this. And she says, you know, humans just were not like this. Uh, and I, I, you know, there was, there was some real, uh, lashback. Apparently there was, there was, there was a criticism for this episode being seen as regressive, um, in terms of LGBTQ representation, because Crusher's own homophobia is sort of characterized as this broad thing, but homophobia, at least where I had grown up was that, pervasive. Um, but the, for me, it wasn't Crusher's response. It was the concept that was this mind blowing milestone for me in terms of breaking down my homophobia, the way that I'd been raised, the religious beliefs that I had about these things, uh, and that this was really challenged by this utterly fictional, what if situation, the speculation, the speculative moment to, to ask the question. I remember us having the discussion after we finished the, the episode, I was like, you know, what would, what would you do? You know, if you were with someone and you really loved them and then the them that really made them them was moved to another body, then what? 
What do you do? And and I can sort of hear that very, you know, practical response. Nobody said it in, 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 in and amongst my uh, bandmates because that was the kind of stuff that we, we lived for. We loved having the kinds of spe- speculative conversations. But I can imagine somebody saying, well, it's just stupid. It's, that, that would never happen. No, but that's the point of science fiction and fantasy and horror is, as Frederick Jameson said about science fiction, that it defamiliarizes the familiar, that it takes the thing that we already know and moves it into a situation that's so exaggerated that we don't initially see that that is what we're we're talking about or learning about until it's sort of come in like a stealth bomber. It's under our radar and we didn't know it was there. And then the, then the concept explodes in our minds. And this was the first a really big shift in my thinking towards LGBTQ people. Um, So that, that had blown me away. So it's interesting to me when I go and I read now about the episode, the host that I, that I find out that there was a lot of criticism for the episode from the LGBTQ community. uh, Because for me personally, it was this move towards acceptance, not away from it. Like I didn't identify as strongly with crushers. Well, let's just say it homophobia I identified more with the problem that she wrestled with for the majority of the episode. And it was interesting, too, as I think back on it, because I was perfectly okay when when the symbiote had moved over to Riker's body. It was like, oh, that's fine. And then it moves to a female body, and now there's two women. And now I'm going, whoa, wait a second. How do I feel about this? And so there's that thing that speculative fiction does, which sort of reflects things back at us and says, okay, well, what would you do? I mean, sure, this is a crazy concept, but what would you do? So, you know, speculative fiction can change our minds about the way that we see things that are everyday and they are real. And there were a number of other, you know, steps along the path for me. I was a big fan of Clive Barker in the 1990s as well. Uh, Later in the 90s, uh, reading Barker's uh, book Sacrament, and the lead character is homosexual, but Barker doesn't reveal that until you're already really connected to the character. And it's a really great move because, again, this we, we just weren't as open as we are today. And we still got a lot of ways to go in terms of openness towards LGBTQ people. But, you know, when Barker wrote Sacrament, it, you know, it was like, again, he was doing this very stealthy move where he doesn't tell us the uh, sexual preference of this character, because why should he? Like, you know, is that the first thing that you should have in a book that is about a bunch of other stuff? Uh, And it was really great for me because when the character went and picked a, a guy up in a bar and they went and had sex, it was just like, it hit me like the episode with the trill did, but it was now it was another hit along the way. It's another opening of um, my mind, I guess we'd say an openness towards LGBTQ people. And so I loved Clive Barker's work. What's funny to me is that I read Imagica before I read Sacrament. And Imagica has this incredibly gender fluid character. And that didn't even like impact on the surface because he was so alien in the narrative. He just seemed to be this other. And I didn't really know what to do with like ultra gender fluidity. Like, you know, for me, it was like you were gay or you were lesbian. And the idea that you could be bisexual or that you could be pansexual, that was completely foreign. And so interestingly, I didn't have a matrix for it. The church hadn't told me what to think. Um, so it was, it was, it was interesting that I was perfectly okay with Imagica. Um, but Sacrament was the one that really, really made the impact. But then I found out that Clive Barker was gay and I love Clive Barker. 
And those are those moments too, right? Where that, that's a little more, that's less speculative fiction and more just the real world. Um, but, you know, when you love an artist, when you love a musician, like I love this uh, rock band out of Texas called King's X and their lead singer slash bass player was one of my heroes and is one of my heroes. I love Doug Pinnock. Love you, Doug, if you ever listen to this. Um, and he came out of the closet and it really hurt them in the Christian community because they had been considered sort of a quasi-Christian crossover band. Like they were Christians, but they played outside the church. Uh, if you've never been raised with Christian rock and stuff like that, I'll, I'll talk about that another day. But just understand that it was sort of a big deal. And I had to wrestle through that. I had to say, like, what do I think about um, Doug Pinnock now. And I was thinking about Clive Barker and I was thinking about Doug Pinnock and I was thinking about the trill and I was thinking about Ian McKellen because I love Tolkien and Ian McKellen is a gay man and he played Gandalf and people were like, Oh, I don't know, you know, about this, you know, gay man playing Gandalf. And I'm like, okay, firstly, he's acting. Secondly, who cares? And that was another interesting moment for me where I was like, who cares? It didn't matter to me. But by that point, I was beginning to move away from, um, just these moments of speculative fiction, changing my mind to doing deeper biblical studies to even investigate like the use of the word homosexual in the Bible. And that was the beginning of the end, uh, as it were, for my faith. I, you know, sort of losing faith, as it were. But today, you know, I'll read, you know, Kaya Shante Wilson's Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps, which is a very queer fantasy novel, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and I love it. And someday I'm going to do an episode about it. Um, but this is all about a concept that I teach frequently to my students, where we have this blending and blurring of fiction and life, where fiction comments on the real world. But there's never a one-to-one -one correlation with these things, even in the most realistic novel. Um, there's never a one-to-one -one representation, reality, correlation. And uh, Alfred Korshbisky uh, came up with this idea where he said, the map is not the territory. And I'm always saying this, my students say it's one of my isms. It's a Mikeism. Um, the map is not the territory. So fiction is not life. Representation is not reality. The map is not the territory. But a lot of my students don't get this from me because we don't necessarily get around to this moment of reflective conversation. But the, the map can comment on the territory and in so doing, at least for me, change it. The utter fabulous, fantastic nature of the idea of the symbiotic alien species, the trill in Next Generation, was a representation moment, a map moment, a fictional moment that changed my territory, that changed my reality, that ultimately changed my life and made me think differently about real people. An alien species made me think differently about real people. And so when someone says, like, why do you teach speculative fiction? It's because if somebody had said, okay, well, we're going to watch this episode and it's about gay rights, I'd have probably had my shields up to use Star Trek uh, um, nomenclature. I would have been like, nope, uh, I'm not going to do that. But I was watching Star Trek and I was watching aliens and I was watching symbiotes and I didn't see it coming. And so what I love about speculative fiction is that it can change us in ways that we, I think, need to be changed or at least need to consider in new ways. It gets us to look at real things 
from wild vantage points. And I absolutely love that about speculative fiction. It can, it can get us to think about race. It can get us to think about gender. It can get us to think about sexuality in new ways. It can get us to think about peace. It can get us to think about nationalism in ways that we would not normally consider. Now, there are other more fun, less serious reasons why I read and teach speculative fiction, but that's, uh, that's a conversation for another day. Next week, I'm going to be talking about DC movies, at least the new ones, the ones that came out this last year, Wonder Woman 1984 and the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I've been wanting to talk about these things a little bit, and it's not going to be any, you know, sort of super deep dive. It's just some reflections because often students will come to my office and they'll say, hey, what did you think about latest movie? You know, that sort of thing. And everybody, a lot of people know anyway that I'm, I'm a huge Superman fan and I'm a DC guy at the end of the day. That's not me saying I think the MCU sucks or anything, people, so please don't send me hate mail. Speaking of mail, if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a comment, share the podcast with a friend. To quote my favorite band, which I've already mentioned today, King's X, and you should go listen to them on the streaming you know, service of your choice. If you like what you hear, then go and tell somebody. I'm on Instagram, both as at Doc Pershawn and as at Triple Bladed Sword. You can hit me up on Twitter at Doc Pershawn or follow my Facebook page, Triple Bladed Sword, teaching fantasy, science fiction, and horror. If you'd like to hear me ramble on about a topic, leave a suggestion or a question in the comments. And if the spirit moves me, I'll use that in an upcoming episode. Summer's just around the corner, unless you're my listeners in Australia and New Zealand, in which case winter is coming and you have my condolences. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Mike Pershawn and this is Triple Bladed Sword. <laughs>